Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get going today, I want to tell you about my very good friend's podcast, Badass Digital Nomad, hosted by Kristen Wilson. Now, you might remember Kristen from episode 96 on the Expat Money Show, where she absolutely killed it. Badass Digital Nomads is an awesome podcast that helps you to master the art of living and working from anywhere in the world. Kristen Wilson is a global relocation expert and online entrepreneur who has been helping people to move abroad and become expats since 2005. She has lived and worked across 60 countries in the past 20 years, and now she can share how you, too, can achieve a location-independent lifestyle through her actionable how-to episodes and inspiring interviews with online entrepreneurs and world travelers. With more than 90 episodes published to date, you can learn things like the eight essential skills you need to become a digital nomad, the pros and cons of remote work visas, or how to become a digital nomad after age 50. You also won't want to miss her regular updates about which countries are open for travel and tourism, and of course, my episode on how to invest offshore. You can find Badass Digital Nomads on every podcast platform out there or by visiting badassdigitalnomads.com. Also, make sure to subscribe to Kristen's YouTube channel, Traveling with Kristen, for weekly travel videos and cost-of-living guides on the best places in the world to travel. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is, well, there is no guest. Today I'm going to do a... A monologue of sorts, I suppose. Now, what I wanted to do with the podcast recently is do like a series, a series of episodes on different countries. So we've done one on Costa Rica, we've done one on Ecuador, and I've got a few other ones lined up in the next few months. And I was looking for someone to do Panama. And I was like, why do I need someone else to do Panama? I've been living here for two years. I'm sure I can give a pretty good overview of the country, how the taxes work, how the visas work, cost of living, everything like that. All those things that you would want to know if you wanted to be an expat in this country. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to record an episode. I have a huge page, six pages of notes here, just little bullet points on things that I want to talk to. We'll get to as many of them as possible. 
Um, if you guys have questions about this, if you want to learn more about Panama, then what I want you to do is join our new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum. And actually, if you just go to on your web browser, expatmoneyforum.com, if you just type that in, it's going to automatically take you to the group. It's amazing. We've got 1,300, 1,400 people, something like that in there. And it's growing very fast every day. You're going to be able to put in your questions. You're going to be able to make some friends, network with other people. Obviously, I just ask that you guys be respectful of the group's rules. Um, we want to keep it a nice, clean place. No spam, no junk in there. Really, really curated content for you guys, for fans of the podcast, where you can meet each other. So I just ask you to be respectful of one another. But that's it. So, okay, let's get into today's episode. So what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be talking about Panama and all the things that you need to know if you think that Panama is a good option for you to move to or you think that you need to have a plan B and you want to have a backup in case things get really, really bad back home and you need somewhere safe to go. Now, I would kind of argue that all of 2020 and 2021 has already been really, really bad. And we're just getting a ton of people who are interested in Panama and interested in actually lots of different countries in the world. So that's why I think a series like this is going to be really important. So I moved from the UAE to Panama in 2019, and there were many reasons I decided to move. I'll give you guys a couple of them. So you might know my wife is from mainland China, and Chinese people don't have the greatest passport, unfortunately. There's a lot of countries where it becomes very difficult to get residency. So that was one of the deciding factors. Which country in the world would allow someone who was a Chinese national to come in? For me, it was quite easy. In Panama, I was able to be the primary, and then I sponsored my wife and the rest of my family to come over here. The other reason was I really didn't like what was happening with the U.S. and Iran at that time. And the UAE has several military bases there. And I was fearful that they would use the UAE as a staging ground for invading Iran. I really don't like this. I'm very anti-war. I've been to Iran. It's a beautiful country. Is the government messed up there? Yes, absolutely they are. There's no question about that. But I still don't think that we should invade them and drop bombs on them and... and murder and kill everybody. I mean, that's just flat out wrong in my book. War is wrong. So I didn't like that. I also didn't like that the UAE was basically, well, it is a desert country and none of the water, like they don't have natural reserves of water. Everything is from desalination. Also, they don't grow hardly any of their own food. So I wanted to be with in a country that was a little bit more self-sufficient. Also, in the summertime there, it's hot, like, and I mean extremely, ridiculously, crazy, nutso hot. It'll get to about 55, 56 degrees Celsius in the summertime, which means literally like you will cook if you go outside in the summer and there's not much you can do about it. So we run the air conditioning all summer long, 24 hours a day. It never gets turned off, even if we're going out to the stores and things like that. It just gets left on. Now, Panama, I mean, we're going to get more into the weather and all those things later on, but I mean, Panama's hot. It's hot and humid. There's no question about that. However, we've had our air conditioning off for 14 months now. We decided we didn't like it and just turned it off, and we've been fine. I mean, yeah, it gets a little bit warm around midday, but we get the windows open, and since we're right by the ocean, we get the cross breeze. We've got a huge penthouse apartment here, so we get the 
both sides of the windows open and we get this cross breeze coming through the ocean and it cools it down quite a bit. So it, it's been fine. I mean, and a couple of fans, they certainly help as well. So I thought that maybe we would start off with a little bit of facts about the country so you guys have a better understanding of what's going on here. So it's a population of 4.1 million people with the majority of the people being in Panama City itself. So the, the major city is Panama City. Um, it's a cosmopolitan uh, city that gets likened to Miami a lot of times. They have an estimated GDP of 121 billion with a GDP per capita of 17,000. Now for Central America, that's very high, like insanely high. They have a USD economy. So although they have the Bilboa here, which is their own currency, in actual fact, it's only used in coins. So everything, the bank accounts are all done in USD. If you buy anything, it's all quoted in USD. Uh, the bills on the street, the cash on the street is all USD with the exception of the coins, which are the Bilboa. So it's like the Bilboa has zero cents to one to 99 cents and then from one dollar onwards is usd so it's not actually anything to have to get accustomed to because no one even refers to the bilboa i'm not sure why they've done this but it, it doesn't really matter to be honest so by outsourcing their currency you can be a little bit more secure on the inflation rates. Now, what's going on with the United States printing trillions of dollars does have a negative effect on all other USD countries in the world. But you don't have to worry about Panama going crazy and racking up so much debt and um, destroying their own currency like has happened in Venezuela. The US is going to do that for you. So they have a similar time zone to Eastern Standard, but they don't have that one hour change during half of the year for daylight savings. So for all intensive purposes, I'm on the same time as New York, which is really convenient for work. When I was living in the UAE, I'd be up till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning working to make sure that I was talking to all my clients on their time zone, which got really challenging after a while, especially as my daughter grew a little bit older and I wasn't there to spend time with her or I'd be sleeping in the mornings and she'd want to play. So I really wasn't a fan of that. Being back on Eastern Standard Time, or like I said, close to Eastern Standard Time, is a real blessing. Um, we thought about living in Thailand, like we looked very, very heavily at living in Thailand, but that was going to be one of the things that was going to be a real stopper for us, was I would be on exact opposite time zone, so I'd be up all night and then be sleeping all day. And I would miss a lot of the great things in Thailand, as well as, you know, time with my wife and kid. So being on Eastern Standard Time for my business was really important. They have one of the oldest airlines in the world. It's called Copa Airlines, and they're part of the Star Alliance members. This airline actually started, I had to look this up, June 21st, 1944. 1944. That is incredible. They fly out of Tucumán International Airport, and it's a real hub in Latin America. A lot of flights come in and out of Tucumán and go onwards. So you're able to be based here in Panama and then see all of Latin America without having to do a lot of connecting flights, which is incredible. I really liked that when I lived in the UAE, that I was in an international place, same as when I was in Singapore. I mean, that was a huge airline hub, and we could get to anywhere in Southeast Asia from that one airport. 
Panama obviously has the Panama Canal. It brings in roughly $3.3 billion annually in tolls for Panama. Um, the cost of living here in Panama, well, I mean, it's very good. At least in my books, it's very, very good. Are there cheaper places in the world? Yes, there are. There's no question about that. However, I still find it a very, very affordable place to be. Now, food is a good price. I mean, especially going to the markets or anything like that. We use a local guy here who delivers all our fru fruits and vegetables. And we get this huge sack of organic fruits and vegetables delivered to our house, like maybe once every two weeks. And it costs us about $75, 76 $77 depending on what we order. We order roughly the same thing every week. But we're talking about beautiful tropical fruit, passion fruits, pineapples, papayas, amazing, amazing quality, as well as all of the vegetables that you would expect. Now, if you want to get strawberries or raspberries or something like that, all of that thing, all of those things are imported from the United States. They can get a little bit pricey. There's no question about that. But if you eat the local food, it's very, very affordable. Same with the meats. If you buy any of the meats here, they're naturally organic. They're naturally free range. You start getting stuff from the U.S., yes, there's going to be a lot of differences there. You're going to get more of the genetically modified foods and the hormones that are pumped into things. So it takes a little bit to get used to. I mean, the chickens are certainly a lot smaller here than what you would find in one of those countries where they pump them full of hormones to grow them at accelerated rates. But all in all, it's healthy, and you get used to the, the taste and the, the differences in the meat. Same with the beef. I mean, we haven't found great quality beef here by any means. If you really want to get to the stuff that you're used to, then you're going to have to have it imported. That becomes a lot more expensive. But I would say, all in all, the quality of the food is unbelievable. Add to that that they have fresh fish. Obviously, they have huge international waters for fishing rights. So there's tons of fresh fish here that we love. We also can get in lots of frozen fish. So we get organic, non-farm-raised salmon from Norway, which is really, really beautiful. And we just bring that in frozen. So you can get all of those things. Plus, all the grocery stores here have all your favorite ingredients. So for example, there's an Asian grocery store, like one-minute walk from my house. Now, having a Chinese wife, this is very, very important. If anyone listening today has an Asian wife or um, is courting an Asian woman, make sure that you have good food and that they get to eat their food from their countries. Um, it is very, very important. In a lot of the countries that I've been to in Asia, food is so paramount to their life and to their culture that you really want to make sure that you have that. Otherwise, woe be to the who uh, to crosses a woman who doesn't get her Asian food. So I think that's kind of funny. The restaurant scene here is amazing. They have really high quality restaurants. When I have clients come into town or friends who are visiting, there's a couple of favorite places that I go to. One's this hidden rest restaurant, and maybe I shouldn't even talk about it because it's supposed to be so hidden. But basically, you have to go through a flower shop. So you take the elevator up a few floors, and then there's w one door, and it's a flower shop. And then where you go into what you think is going to be the fridges for all the flowers, it opens up into this like Michelin star restaurant. And forget about going there if you don't have a reservation from weeks in advance. You won't get in. So 
they have a really developed restaurant scene here. Now, I like a lot of other countries in Latin America. You know, I've been to Belize many times, Costa Rica, places like this. But you're not going to find the type of restaurants that are here in those countries. They just don't exist. We also have a Brazilian restaurant, which is kind of close to our house, where they do traditional Brazilian food. And I mean, the prices are amazing. For like 30 bucks, I think it is, it's all you can eat. And we're big meat eaters. I'm a big fan of quality meat. And I've been there probably 15 times or 12 times in the last year since it's been opened. And the place is always packed. It's unbelievable. One of the big differences that I noticed from moving from the UAE to Panama was the cost of transportation. So actually, I don't drive. We don't have a car here. So we use Uber for everything. Now, in the UAE, we had the taxi service, which was relatively affordable. I mean, it would cost me $20 to go into the city. Right now, it costs about $3, and $3.40, $3.80 to go to most places in Panama City from where we live. I mean, it's nothing. Ubers are everywhere. You order an Uber, and by the time I take the elevator downstairs, the Uber is there waiting for me. We pretty much never have problems with the Uber. They're clean, they're safe, they're reliable. Big, big fan of it. And I never even think about the cost. I never even look at the cost anymore because I always know it's going to be very affordable. A lot of people will ask me about rent in the country, about either purchasing property or renting property or where they're going to live. My suggestion to people is always rent when you come to a new country. Don't even think about buying. Come at least see the place, get a feel for it, get some experience, decide what kind of neighborhood you want, and then you can think about buying. But the rents are really, really affordable. You, if you're on a budget, you can probably find a place for six, seven, eight hundred dollars in Panama City. We're talking a small place in maybe not the greatest neighborhood. Now, if you want a really flash place to live, if you want a two-story penthouse, you know, with all the amenities and gated security and a security guard on on call all day long and a pool and a gym in the place, you can look at around two thousand dollars a month. And these places are beautiful. I mean, for $2,000 a month in Toronto or in New York or in Los Angeles, you're probably not going to get so much downtown, especially for this quality. But Panama, you're going to live like a, a king or a queen. So I think that's great. Utilities are also very, very affordable. You'll find that most of the cooktops here are all done with gas, and the gas is covered in the condo fees. So you're often not paying that separate. Also, electricity is quite affordable here. I mean, when we started coming into the country and we were using the air conditioning every day, our, air our electricity bill was something like $800, which was crazy. When we turned our air conditioner off, our bill dropped to about $45 a month. So I think that the big thing with that is we live in a slightly older building, so the air conditioning units are not very effective at all. But with the new induction ones, they're supposed to be much cheaper. But because I'm renting here, I refuse to replace, I don't know, 10 different air conditioning <laughs> units in the, in the apartment. And I would rather just um, have the breeze. I think it's more healthy anyways, personally. Um, but that's it. I mean, the utilities are very, very reasonable in general. Same with things like mobile phone. I mean, you can get a mobile phone plan with unlimited data and, for all intensive purposes, unlimited calling for about $40 a month. And that will include, you know, a couple hundred minutes of international calling. So you can still 
call your family and things like that. Although these days with all the different types of VoIP and Zoom and Skype and everything like that, I don't even know why people would use international calling on a regular basis to stay in touch with their family. But I mean, it is available. So $30 to $40 a month, you're going to pay your mobile phone. Same with the internet. I mean, you're going to get domestic internet for about $30 a month, I would say. Because I run my business online, I use a business level uh, internet that's normally used for office buildings. It's a line of sight type of internet. It's all done through satellite. I pay just under $200 a month, but it's super stable and super fast, which I really like. Obviously, the fast is good, but more than anything, the stable is really important. If I'm doing an interview with, I don't know, Grant Cardone or Jim Rogers or something like that, then I don't want to take any chances that these interviews are going to drop and I'm going to lose them halfway through the call. Sometimes when I do an interview, it might take me, you know, two, three, four, five months to get a guest on the show. I mean, we're working on guests now that won't air until the end of the year. So I couldn't take any chances on that. Yes, I'm paying five times as much as a local person here, but the stability for the internet is really, really important. And I mean, if you guys ever do decide that you want to move to Panama and you're looking for these types of things, you know, a lot of this information is going to be held in our group at expatmoneyforum.com. A lot of these little tips and things like that on who to go to for internet and for phone and stuff like that. The other big reason that I chose to come to Panama is that not only is it a low cost of living, which I just talked about, but it's also a really high standard of living. I mean, they have everything here. From walking distance from my house, they have three cinemas, four cinemas, I want to say, and all of them have VIP access. So these are the types of ones where you get to sit down. Um, they have blankets there. It's full. It reclines fully. You have a little table. There's a button. You push a button. Someone comes along with an iPad. You can order a beer, a glass of wine. You can have a three-course meal. I mean, I like this. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm a bit spoiled at this point. I like all these types of amenities. But the nice thing is that it's really affordable. I mean, VIP movies here, I think, is $12, $14, something like that. When I lived in the UAE, it was like $21 for just regular seating. And if I wanted the VIP seating, it would go up to maybe $60 or $70, plus all the food and everything that you would spend. So if we were going out for dinner and a movie and having a drink, uh, my wife and I, I mean, you're spending a few hundred dollars in the UAE. Here we can do it and we don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about the cost at all. So, I mean, you still get this amazing quality of life, all the benefits, but at a really low cost. Same thing with the medical facilities. People often worry about coming to a quote-unquote developing country because, well, what about the medical facilities? Well, I'm here to tell you that there is a John Hopkins hospital just down the street from me. I mean, we can walk to the John Hopkins and have any type of procedure that you would in the United States or Canada. And the really interesting thing is that a lot of the doctors are actually trained in the USA or trained in Canada. So they all speak English, so you don't have to worry about, you know, am I going to be able to communicate with them or anything like that. They all speak English. They have the newest type of equipment. They have procedures that are not recognized in other countries that you're able to do here under medical tourism, which I think is great. I mean, yes, I believe in some types of regulation, but I think that it's gotten out of hand in a lot of cases. 
So being able to do your own research and come to a different country for medical tourism is quite good. Also, a lot of the medical procedures here are private, so forget about having to wait months and months and months to be able to do something. You're going to be able to go in, book an appointment, and then have your surgery done or have your procedure done the next day or the following day. I mean, that's capitalism. You pay for it, you get it. I like that a lot. Now, for insurance... I, I do believe in some type of a safety net, but I don't think that the government should be responsible for that safety net. I believed in privatized safety net. So I do encourage people to have insurance, but it is private insurance. I mean, I've wrote about the insurance a lot. We've talked about a lot in other podcasts and in other interviews that I've been doing on other people's show. If you want to find out more about some of the insurance that I'm working with or that I'm looking at for the international scene for the expat or travel insurance, you can go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. That'll always be updated information. I'll make sure that I whoever I really like is on that one. But the insurance here in Panama is really affordable. So you can get local insurance or you can get international insurance like I have. Because I get invited to speak all over the world at different conferences and different summits, because I'm taking business meetings or I'm going to look at projects or different business plans around the world, I want to make sure that I have insurance everywhere I go. So on average, you can look at international health insurance for a family of three, a family of four, if everyone's in decent condition, about five to $6,000 a month. Uh, sorry, I was about to say five to $6,000 a month. Five to $6,000 a year, excuse me, five to $6,000 a year. Now, when I started talking about these things, like the insurance on other people's podcasts, when I was being interviewed about it, I didn't realize how insane the price of insurance has gotten in the United States. You know, I have lots of people who tell me it's like a husband and wife, and it's $22,000 a year, and it's just really basic, kind of crummy insurance, nothing really great. Well, I mean, here, family of four, you can look at getting really good insurance with all the bells and whistles, with everything that's included for that $6,000 a year. I mean, we have dental, we have inpatient, outpatient, we have prescriptions, we have everything that you could want, and it's a really affordable rate. So even, you know, coming overseas, not only are you going to be saving on the food, on the rent, on the cost of living, but you're also going to be saving, you know, $15,000 a year insurance. That's amazing. I mean, when you think about what you could do with that $15,000, how you could put it back into your business, how you could put it into investments, how you could spend time, more time with your kids, you can take more holidays, you can pursue your passions. I mean, that is an amazing thing about being an expat and something that I'm really, really passionate about sharing with people because I don't think that the costs for these things are needed. I mean, a lot of what's happening in the medical institutions in Canada and the United States is out of control. I mean, socialized medicine is raising the price for everybody and it's making it more prohibitive for people who need treatment today. I mean, it's not uncommon in Canada to request some type of a radiology, a CT scan or to see a specialist, and it can take two months, three months to get in. Here in Panama, I mean, or in a lot of other developing countries, I mean, it's two days, three days. It's like literally, when do you want to see the doctor? I mean, that's amazing. I think that this cannot be stressed enough.
One of the other massive benefits about living in Panama is the tax system here. Now, I'm not going to be giving individual tax advice, but I'm going to give you guys an overview of what the taxes look like in this country and then give you a general understanding of how this might be able to help you. Now, if you need individual advice, I, help, I hope that you reach out to us. But if not us, I mean look out there for an international CPA or a tax lawyer who understands the international space and get some really good advice about this because these things are serious. So Panama follows what's called a territorial tax system, which basically means that if the money is generated outside of Panama, then Panama doesn't care about it. So if you have an online business, if you are a coach or a consultant, if you do Amazon FBA or drop shipping, if you don't do an info biz um, and you sell info biz products, courses, newsletters, special reports, books, if you're an author, anything like that, I mean, these are all tax free. If you work remotely, if you work for a U.S. company and you, um, or if you have your own company, I should say, and you can bill a company and do it remotely, I mean, there's nothing here for Panama to tax. They don't care about it. They only care about revenue, which is generated inside the country. And they don't consider you working on your laptop in your bedroom as work in the country. What they're more looking at is, you know, are you coming here and opening a restaurant? Are you a barber and cutting hair? Are you doing construction and building things? Do you have a store, a tienda, and you're selling things, physical things in the country? If it's not, then it's going to be tax-free for you in Panama. Now, that doesn't eliminate your tax obligations to the United States. And I'm not going to make this a big episode about taxes for U.S. and expat taxes. I mean, we've written about that tons. We've done lots of interviews on it. But what I want you to look up, and, and you can Google search it or go to the IRS website, is look for the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion. It's a really great program. It helps a lot of people. I mean, it's a real-life strategy for legally reducing your taxes. If you need additional help with that, I mean, reach out to us, and we'll, we'll sort you out. No problem there. So Panama does have a corporate tax rate here. And the way it works is it's going to go with whatever is greater. It's going to be 25% of the net taxable income or 1.17% on gross taxable income. Now, once again, if money is generated outside of the country, you're not going to have a problem with these things. Now, they have a capital gains tax of a flat 10%, which is quite attractive. And for the individual income tax rate, up to $11,000, it's 0%. From $11,001 to 50K, it's 15%. And over 50K is a flat 25% tax rate. They have a 7% VAT in the country and a 15% tax on tobacco products. There is no inheritance or estate tax in the country, and there is no net worth tax. Now, once again, saying all this, you know, up to 11,000, 11,000 to 50,000, yada, yada, yada. If your money is not earned in Panama, then none of that is going to apply to you. Now, the VAT, yes. I mean, if you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, yeah, you're going to pay 15% on your tobacco products here in Panama. 
That's, there's no way around that. I mean, but that's a small price to pay. The, the, the tax that I often fight against is going to be property taxes, income tax, corporate tax rates, those types of things. The VIT, I'm, VAT, I mean, that's kind of voluntary. I mean, you choose to smoke. You don't, have, you don't choose to work. I mean, everybody needs to work. Every need, everybody needs to be able to provide for their family. So I think that they're very different things. Panama has three free trade zones, and each one has their own tax benefits and purposes for existing. And they actually have one of the oldest free trade zones in the world, and that's the Cologne Free Trade Zone. Now, this is the second largest free trade zone in the world after Hong Kong. And there's a lot of ties from this to the Panama Canal, and I, I'm sure you can kind of guess the reasons why. So a lot of the, the goods come in, they land, and then they get reshipped. So there's a lot of tax breaks there. But they also have the Panama Pacifico uh, Special Economic Zone, where they have tons of businesses that are set up there. Um, I have lots of friends who have businesses there. I have lots of friends who live there as well. It's like its own little enclave of an economic zone. And I think that these enclaves are going to become more and more important going forwards. I think they're real-life steps to really breaking away from other countries and having a more free uh, area, a free landmass that we're going to be able to, to live in that are not going to have the same rules that apply on the, the rest of the country. And we're carving these out all around the world. I'm going to be doing some episodes on these going forwards, on free private cities, on economic zones, on free trade zones, all the different laws that surround these. We had them in the UAE. They have them in Hong Kong that I mentioned. There's in Singapore. There's in Panama. There's all over the world. And they're growing and growing and growing. So look forward to those episodes. They're going to be unbelievable. I've got some really amazing guests lined up for them. And I've been doing a lot of research on these different economic zones. And the last of the three uh, free trade zones that they have is called the City of Knowledge. Now, this is for tech companies and a lot of startups. They have some different types of educational programs that are based out of there. So there's three different types of free trade zones here in Panama, which add to the tax breaks for building your business in this country. So Panama has a huge banking and financial sector. They actually have 62 banks in Panama, 62. Now, as a Canadian, we have five. We have the big five banks in Canada, and basically it's a, it's a monopoly. They lobby the government to keep any other banks out so that no other banks can get licenses or can compete with them. It's very uncapitalist in Canada. I mean, the U.S. is a little bit better, but it's still not great. But Panama, in such a small, 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 small country, they have 62 banks. Now, a lot of people will think that the Panama Canal is the big money maker for Panama. They think that, you know, that three, four billion dollars that it brings in, I mean, that's where they get all of their money. Actually, Panama is all about the banking sector, and it contributes over 8% to Panama's GDP just in Panama City, the banking sector here. So they are the most modern and successful in Latin America for financial centers and banking sectors. They have the center, and they are the center of the offshore world. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I came here. I mean, you're going to hear lots of names thrown out on this podcast or on my blog or on different programs about different offshore jurisdictions. 
But the truth is that Panama is still the center. Don't worry about what happened with the Panama Papers. I mean, that didn't even put a dent. That was one bad company who wasn't paying attention, who was doing some dodgy stuff. The offshore world is legitimate business. There's lots of reasons. It's not all about taxes. There's lots of things, not, not just asset protection. There's ease of business. There's so many things that wouldn't exist if we didn't have the offshore markets, like the Panama Canal, like these types of uh, free economic zones. These things wouldn't exist without the offshore markets. So Panama kind of gets nicknamed the Switzerland of Latin America. And it's with good reason. I mean, they have over 400,000 corporations and foundations that are domiciled in Panama. 400,000. So once again, this is second in the world to only Hong Kong. I mean, there's no other country. So forget about BVI and Belize and Nevis and Seychelles and Cook Islands and all of these places that you hear for the international and offshore space. I mean... Panama is where it's at. This is where a lot of the businesses are domiciled. This is because Panama does not impose any reporting requirements or taxes. So no income, no capital gains, no interest income taxes, no sales tax, capital gains tax, property tax, estate tax, or other taxes are imposed on these corporations. And there is no piercing the corporate veil, quote unquote. So there is anonymous ownership and control of your company here, and there is no paid-in capital requirements. And uh, these are just some of the advantages here. So people think that the canal drives Panama's economy. No, it's the banking, it's the financial sector. Keep that in mind. Another incredible thing that Panama has is the residency program here. Now, Panama actually has 22 different types of residencies here. They have retirement residencies, they have investor visas, they have reforestation visas, they have all different types. But really the best one is called the Friendly Nations Visa. So, and this is the one that we often work with. And it's quite easy to do. And I'm gonna give you guys a breakdown, so please Make sure to get your pen and paper for this point because this is really important. Or you can reach out to us and you know we'll send you all this information. We help people all the time with this visa. But basically what you're going to need to do is create two strong economic ties to the country. Now one is, gonna, one is going to be a bank account and the other one, what we do, is a corporation. So as we said before, the corporation is... is so, so prominent here. This is part of that 400,000. And this is a real offshore corporation. So it's gonna tick all the boxes of what we've just been talking about. So now you can continue to use your corporation every year if you like. And I mean, there's a fee for keeping a corporation active that, that's everywhere in the world. Or you can let it lapse, that's up to you. But a corporate structure is a very easy, straightforward way that the Panama government knows and understands for creating a strong economic tie to the country. You must do a bank deposit of a minimum of 5,000 US dollars into your new Panama bank account. And you need to keep it there during the entire immigration process. They're gonna check on it, you're gonna need to get a letter and everything like that. But this is your money, this is your bank account, this is your money, afterwards you can do whatever you want with it. You can spend it, you can invest it, you can keep the money offshore. They actually have good interest rates here. I mean, you can expect you know, that 3 to 4% interest rate annually on your money here. 
Now, I didn't say 0.3% or 0.03%. I mean 3% flat. Now, go. I challenge you to go look at your local bank in Canada or the United States and look at what interest they're paying you right now. It's probably going to be 0.0027 or something ridiculously small like that. But here you're going to get that 3 to 4%. You're going to have to have proof of income, and this is usually done through a bank statement or paychecks or something like that. You're going to need eight carnet size photos, and with these photos, don't get them, don't get the photography place to sign them or stamp them. You want them blank on the back because they're going to actually do their own stamping and everything like that. There's going to be forms that'll need to be filled in for sure. I mean, your lawyer will take care of that or the service provider who will take care of that and you're gonna to need to do a police check. Now, a quick note on the police check. This needs to be done on the national level, not the domestic level, not the, not the state or municipal level. Now, for Americans, that's gonna be an FBI, and for Canadians, that's gonna be an RCMP check. Now, I keep saying Americans, Canadians, because that's 90% of the people who I work with. But I mean, whatever the national uh, police check is in your country, I mean, you're going to go to them. So if you're French, you're going to go to the French National Police. If you're German, you're going to go to the, the German National Police. Okay? Same with the UK or Australia or South Africa or whatever it might be. Um, but you get my point. And also, side note, the Friendly Nations visa is open to anyone from about 50 different countries, actually not even about. There are 50 countries that can apply for this. So as I just said, France, Germany, uh, UK, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Japan, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, obviously Canada and the United States, basically anywhere in West Western Europe, any, any Western country, you can expect that you're going to be able to qualify for this. Now, I'm very sorry, everybody from Nigeria, from Bangladesh, from India, from Pakistan. Unfortunately, this visa does not qualify for you guys. Please don't hate me. I mean, this has nothing to do with me. This is the government. There are other visas that apply to you guys. However, the investment is not so little. I mean, you're going to need to make a $300,000, $400,000 investment into the country. And if you want to do that, no problem. We'll help you sort that all out. You're going to need to have liquid cash for that. But for this visa here, it's mostly just Western countries that are going to be able to qualify. So after you get your police check, what are you going to need to do? Well, you're going to need to do two visits to the country. Each is going to take about a week. If you're moving to the country, well then yes, you can actually just stay here that entire time. And the time frame is gonna take about four months. So if you do two visas, two visits, you're gonna need to come back after four months for the second visit. If you stay uh, without leaving, no problem. It's gonna take about four months. Now, when you come into the country, make sure that during your process, you apply for a multiple entry visa. Otherwise, when you leave, you could face a civil fine, not a criminal, a civil fine of 2,000 US dollars. Now, to apply for this costs about $45, so please make sure it's done. I mean, when we work with you to help you sort through this visa, we'll remind you, we'll actually do it for you, so there won't be any questions about that. But if, you, if there's anybody out there listening who decides, you know what, I'm going to try to save 500 bucks or something, and I'm going to do this all myself, make sure that you apply for the multiple entry visa. 
And another little side note here, when I moved to Panama, I worked with a professional who is used to doing the visas here. I didn't even try to do this myself because, I mean, there's so so many nuances to different immigration processes. And if you haven't been through it many times, I mean, you're not going to know what to do. So even me who works in immigration and helps people every day with immigration, I still worked with a professional. And even now, when you come work with me, I partnered with a law firm who does all the work for me for my clients that I know and trust. And they help everybody and the prices are really competitive. But I mean, there will still be people out there who decide that they want to do it all themselves. And I mean, that's totally your right. You do whatever you want. I will tell you that most likely it will cost you probably two times as much and it'll take you five times as long because the mistakes that you make with something like this can end up really racking up the charges. After that, if you're going to come with a a spouse or with kids, you're going to need to show your marriage license. You're going to have to have your birth certificates for your kids and all these things will need to be apostilled. So make sure you do this early. I know that a lot of the apostille services in the United States right now are massively backed up. Um, There's so many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are leaving the country that these things are totally backed up. This is the same with the police check, by the way. Normally a police check takes two weeks. Right now I've heard my clients are taking two months to get it back. So make sure you apply for it right now. And if you don't have your US passport, if you have to apply for a new US passport, I've heard wait times are upwards of four months at the moment. So make sure you start today to start all of these things. This is not something you're gonna wanna do last moment. So if you're going to sponsor your spouse or your children or even your parents, you're going to need to show that they are your dependents. So there's extra documentations that you're going to need to do for all of these things. So what is this going to get you? Well, you're going to be able to get a visa that will allow you to legally live and work in Panama full time. If you want to work in the country, as we said earlier about, you know, being a barber or a bartender or a construction worker or open a store, work in retail or whatever you might imagine, you know, of actually having a job here from a Panamanian company or building some type of a brick and mortar business. Well, then we're going to need to take you down to the Ministry of Labor. It's going to take about a half a day. And we're going to get you one piece of paper, which will legally allow you to do those types of things. But it is an option. Now, if you do an online business, like we talked about before, you don't need any additional documentation. You can just go out there and build your business. There's nothing else that you need to do. So you can live, work, retire, uh, be in the country full time. All you need to do to keep this visa active is visit the country one day every two years. Let that sink in for a second. One day every two years. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, a lot of other countries out there might be six months. I mean, we talked about Ecuador, and it was like you had to live there for the better part of the entire year to keep your visa active for the first couple of years. And then the requirements came down on year three, year four, year five. I mean, but for the first two years, you basically had to live there full time. Um, So that doesn't work as a backup plan. It might work great if you want to move to Ecuador. If Ecuador is your, your destination, then great. But, I mean, as a backup plan, it doesn't work like that. Same with Nicaragua. I mean, we do visas for Nicaragua. You're going to have to live there for a half a year to keep your visa active. Honduras, I think, is three months, four months. 
that you'll have to live there every single year to keep the visa active. Um, Panama, one day every two years. Even Portugal, which is another one that we help people with, is a week a year and then kind of scales up from there. But I mean, that's every year. This is one day every two years. So that's amazing. I, I'm a big fan of this for the backup plan. So all total for this visa, for, for the, the forms, the legal work, the fees, the bank account, the company formation, everything you know, is going to cost around $10,000. I say around $10,000 because there's different caveats for different people. Now, keep in mind that $5,000 of this is going to go into the bank account for you. So you actually get that money back. I mean, well, not even get it back. It's always yours. The, the, nothing changes hands there. The bank account is in your name. And if you have dependents, if, you're, if you've got four kids, I mean, certainly the prices are going to go up. But you can expect around three and a half, four thousand dollars $4,000 for the primary applicant, and then about $1,500 to $2,000 for each dependent. And that's for the fees and all the processing. And it's the same type of thing that's going to happen for the bank deposits. You're going to need $5,000 for the primary sitting, the primary person, so you or your spouse, whoever ends up going forward with the visa. And all dependents, everyone that you sponsor, you're going to need to add an additional $1,500 to the bank account that will need to sit there throughout the immigration process. So that's why I say around $10,000 you're going to need to be liquid for. So I've done many, many visas around the world. I've lived in eight different countries, and I have to say that Panama is one of the best ones out there. That's why you'll hear me speak about it over and over again. Not only did I choose to move here with my family, but looking at all the programs that are open at the moment, I really think that Panama is a strong option. And you know what? After five years of continual residency here, you can actually apply for citizenship. Now, I'm going to put a caveat, and I'm going to tell you it's not guaranteed. I mean, certainly, I mean, if you think that you're going to spend that one day every two years in the country, and after five years you're going to get a passport, well then, I'm sorry, I mean, you've got another thing coming. You're going to really need to show strong ties to the country. You're going to have to show that your life is here to be able to get this passport. Now, a lot of people will be wondering, okay, well, how did Panama handle the coronavirus? I'm here to tell you that they did have strict lockdowns. Like lots of countries in Latin America, they followed what the World Health Organization advised. Now, I don't agree with this. I didn't like it. I lived through it. It kind of sucked, to be honest. But I mean, that's the entire world right now. There's not a lot of countries that are fully open. So Panama did have lockdowns. Um, luckily, the worst is behind us. The country is open at the moment for recording this. There's still some curfews and things like that. But for all intensive purposes, the country is open. Thank goodness. You know, that really sucks. I don't agree with the lockdowns at all. I don't agree with shutting down businesses and destroying entrepreneurial uh, livelihood. I think that this is terrible. I believe in personal responsibility and allowing people to make their own decisions. They've caused so many problems around the world. I mean, suicide rights are up. Drug abuse is up. People who are dying from other diseases, cancer, and not getting annual checkups. I mean, all these things are through the roof because of these lockdowns and the fear-mongering that has happened. So Panama did participate in these types of things. However, the country is open now, and I think that the worst is behind us. I don't expect us to go back into strict lockdowns, but I mean, who knows? 
what will happen in the future. I mean, governments everywhere are crazy. I, in a gen as a general rule, I don't like governments, period. So what is my opinion, my overall opinion about Panama? Well, my opinion is this. It is so stunning beautiful. The natural beauty of this country cannot go without saying. I mean, I can't stress this enough. Panama's natural beauty is unbelievable. It's like those postcards you see. Picture perfect islands, tropical paradise. You have the Las Perlas Islands, you have the San Blas Islands, you have Coronado, you have Contadora, you have these amazing, amazing, amazing places that you just, Panama doesn't get enough credit for. People only think about, you know, the islands way off the coast, but actually Central America has some amazing beaches and some amazing natural beauty. So if you're into snorkeling or scuba diving or boating or surfing or any of these types of things, windsurfing, I mean, there's so many options here. It's just crazy. I think that the Panamanians in general are very friendly and warm people. Family is really important to them, and they have um, really strong values to the family, which I really like, which I'm very much a fan of. It's not a very consumer-driven country. I find that the people are more family. They're, they're more worried about spending time with the people that they love, and I think that this is really excellent. Also, add to that, they're really welcoming to expats. I mean, being an expat in Panama is normal. I mean, they see expats every day. They're very open and warm. I have lots of Panamanian friends. I certainly have more Panamanian friends in the last two years of living here than I did in my eight years of living in the UAE. I mean, UAE, there was a real separation between the expats and the locals, and that was really manufactured. They had entire neighborhoods where you couldn't even rent or move into or buy property in if you were an expat. They were for locals only. There were so many things that were locals only. UAE kind of reminded me of old Roman culture. When I studied my history books, there was a real separation between citizens and non-citizens. But in Panama, that's not the case at all. I find them to be very, very open. So what are some of the, the popular places to live? What are the popular places that you might want to check out if you're deciding to move here or you want to have that, that backup plan or a second house or something here? Well, first off the bat, I mean, is Panama City. Like, of course, Panama City is where tons of expats are, and it's where I live. I live in downtown Panama City. I mean, I'm right by the water. We have a park right by my house. It's like maybe a minute away, and then the ocean is right there, so we can go. I can take my kid to the playground. I go for a walk. There's a dog park. I don't have a dog, but, I mean, lots of other people have their pets and things here. So there's that, which I think is just amazing. I mean, you have all those restaurants that we talked about really, really close. We have the hospitals. We've got the cinemas. We have huge malls. We have some of the largest malls in Latin America with all the name brands. I mean, if you're into Gucci and Louis Vuitton and all of these types of really expensive brands, I mean, all of those things are here in Panama. They have many stores for that type of thing. But they also have all the budget stores. They have everything that you would want to furnish your house here. There's nothing you can't find in Panama City. Like I said, it's a major cosmopolitan city. It's really similar to Miami, I'm told. And it's just, you know, half the price. So what are some of the other places? Well, 
Bocas del Toro is very, very popular as well. It's a province in the Caribbean side of Panama, and it's a really hot place for retirees. A lot of retirees move there, and you're going to find a lot of English spoken in that area. They also have uh, Taboga Island. It's more quiet. It's less noisy. It's more relaxed. I mean, if that's what you're interested in, then for sure that's a good place. And then after that, I mean, you have Coronado. Um, Coronado, which I mentioned before, is a little bit more remote. I mean, it is very, very beautiful. They're still going to have the, the grocery stores. You're still going to get all the food that you want and things. But for sure, it's more remote. It's a beautiful place. You know, we holiday there sometimes on long weekends, and we really like it. And then the last place that I want to mention is Boquete. So Boquete is a small town of about... 20,000 people-ish, and it's about 30 minutes from the city of David. Now, this is a really, really popular place with expats. It's really lush, and it's a green valley, and it's situated at an altitude of 3,200 feet. So the, the temperature is a lot cooler there. You're going to find that it drops a few degrees in the province of Chiriqui than in, you know, Panama City, for example. Um, so if you're worried about the heat and the humidity, you might want to check out Boquete. So that's kind of the, the five or six really popular places that expats move to in Panama. So I encourage you guys to go do a bit more research on all of those. Obviously, my vote is for Panama City. I really love it here. I like being in an urban place. Yes, I'm, I'm huge into nature and I love going for hikes and I love the outdoors. But for living, I do like a big city. I like all those amenities. So another big question that I get asked all the time is, you know, what is it like to learn Spanish or to speak Spanish? Is English going to do enough for me? Am I going to be able to get by on just English? My advice is probably not. I mean, certainly in Panama City, you're going to have some difficulties here. Now, maybe in one of those little expat areas, you might be okay. However, even learning, you know, a few hundred words of Spanish, I think is going to be really beneficial for you. And also, I encourage you guys to start learning Spanish before you arrive here. Anybody who thinks that the best way to learn Spanish is just to show up in the country and you're just going to, you know, learn it through osmosis by being around people who speak Spanish is not the case. I know lots of expats who have been here for five to 10 years who can barely order their own dinner. I have friends who have to get their six-year-old, seven-year-old seven kids to order their dinner for them because the kid picked up Spanish by going to school, but they never did. For me, that's not good. I mean, I believe in personal responsibility. I want to be able to take care of myself. I want to be able to take care of my family. So I've wrote about my experiences in studying Spanish at escapeartist.com on my blog. You'll be able to search my blog posts there for the different things that I'm doing. But in a nutshell, the, the two programs, the two different systems that I use on a regular basis um, are the courses by Ollie, my good friend. And if you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish, you'll be able to learn a lot more about that program and his way of teaching languages. And it's a really structured course, but it's really fun. I mean, it's not boring. You're not memorizing grammar all day. So that's what I do for a lot of the framework for learning Spanish. And then if you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash italki, it's another 
program, another system. And actually, if you go through that link and you sign up under my link, you're going to get $10 of free credit, which is going to be your first lesson or two of one-on-one -on -one tutoring with a teacher. I think that these two systems are really going to help you guys to get going in Spanish and get you to a good level. So when you arrive in Panama, you're going to be able to help yourself a little bit. You're going to be able to navigate and order your own food, get some directions, deal with basic stuff. Um, I think it's really, really important, not only because of your own safety, like I'm a, law, I'm a big one for protecting yourself from the downside, but I mean also from the upside, from the positive side. Think about how incredible of a life you're going to be able to have if you can incorporate yourself into the local community, if you can make friends and you can connect with people on their level. I mean, that's a big part of being an expat. And I think it's really important that you guys take it seriously. So I do encourage you guys to learn Spanish and, uh, and check out expatmoneyshow.com forward slash italki or expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish. So that's a lot of things that I've covered. I hope that this has been a really uh, beneficial episode for you guys and kind of gave you a masterclass on everything you need to know about planning either as a plan B for Panama or actually moving as an expat here. But these are kind of my final thoughts on Panama in general. So if you're looking for a backup residency, then Panama is a very good option because it's affordable and you don't need to visit the country all that much. You can only visit, you only need to visit the country one day every two years. If you like the tropics and you like warm weather, then Panama is definitely a good option for you. If you like low taxes and no standing military, if you are against war and you like lots of expats and lots of freedom um, outside of the COVID stuff that I mentioned before, then I will definitely say that Panama is a good option for you. If you want a higher standard of living, but at a lower cost of living, then Panama is a good option for you. And if you want a cosmopolitan lifestyle, but you want to do it on a budget, then Panama is a good option for you. If you are now, I, I have to put this in. However, if you are super anal retentive on everyone being on time and everything done perfectly and everything getting done exactly when people say they will do it, well, then Panama is not a good option. Latin America in general might not be a good option for you. You're going to need to relax a little bit and um, understand that a lot of people are quite tardy uh, in this country. And I will also say that if you do not deal well with the heat, then Panama as a general rule is not a good option for you. Now, as I said earlier, if you go up to the highlands, maybe you might be okay. Or if you blast your air conditioner 24-7, then it'll be okay. But there is no question about it. Panama, Panama is in the tropics. We're close to the equator. It's warm here. For me, I will take the heat over taking uh, shoveling snow in southwestern Ontario or, or having to walk somewhere in three feet of snow and take me 10 minutes to put on my boots and hat and gloves and all that kind of stuff. First, I, I hate the cold. The only reason that I would ever want to be in the cold is if I'm doing downhill skiing, which I do love. But for everything else, no, I hate the cold. I don't want to live in the cold at all. I, I love the heat. So what are your next steps? 
Well, I encourage you guys to reach out to me at expatmoneyshow.com if you want more help with your visa or you got questions about Panama. And I promise I will do my best to help you guys. I mean, I can't answer every single individual question. Um, you guys are responsible for doing a lot of your, your own research. But I hope that today's interview or today's episode, I should say, gave you guys some insight. If you want to move forward with the visa, um, then I'll do my best to help you guys. So that is it. Um, an entire episode, my monologue on moving to Panama. I hope you guys found this beneficial. Please go out there, give this show a review, give us a thumbs up, give us a five star. I mean, the best place to do it is on Apple Podcasts, but you can also do it on Stitcher Radio. Those are our two biggest platforms. Share this show with your friends. I mean, what we're talking about today and in all of our episodes is extremely important stuff. I mean, more, more, more people need to know about it. I'm trying to help as many people as possible to be able to take care of themselves, to encourage and inspire them to have a great life overseas, to do all the things that they want to do. And I'm trying to give you guys practical steps on how to do it. You know, I don't talk in fluff. I don't talk in, you know, in just nonsense. These are real life practical, practical steps on every single episode. So please share with your friends, share with your family, give us a review. And if you want to continue the conversation, go to expatmoneyforum.com. You're going to be able to ask a lot of your questions. You're going to be able to meet some other expats who are going through the process right now today. It's all open. They're going to be able to share with you what they're doing, what's working, what's not working. That's just boots on the ground resources. It's all free. We don't charge for membership or anything like that. My goal, my mission is to help you get the life that you want to have. Okay. Thank you so much. And we will see you in the next episode of the expat money show. Cheers. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter for convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources. Visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the expat money show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.